If a thousand people convincingly say a wrong thing, it's still a wrong thing. If one person out of a thousand says a right thing, it's the right thing. In the Bible, it's amazing how often the minority are right and the majority are really out there, off. Today, I want to talk to you about the third tool in survival gear, spiritual survival gear. Uh, Folks, if you don't know that we're in a warfare, you're in the right place because I'm going to let you know that we're in a warfare. But that's all right because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? Uh, We are more than conquerors for him that loved us. But you have to do the right things. You have to have the right practices in place in order to have victory. It doesn't just happen. A garden doesn't just grow. Somebody's keeping that garden. Somebody's watering it, fertilizing it, getting it good sunshine. It doesn't just happen. And if you leave it alone, it gets overgrown with weeds and it dies. Same thing with our spiritual life. We've got to do what God has given us in order to survive and thrive in this dark world. Now, so far, we've talked about the survival tool of daily time in the Word of God. You can't do without that. You, you, that that's a non-negotiable. Well, I don't know what to read, Jeff. Just start at John. Just read John's Gospel. And if you want to go through the Bible with us in a year, when you go straight out there and, and look on the wall, there's a Through the Bible in a Year printed out program right there for you to pick up where we are. Now, the second tool was daily time in prayer. Today I want to talk to you about the, the importance of the church. Now, I know I'm talking to the choir because you're here. Amen? But I want to tell you why God gave the local church. I want to tell you why he gave it. Because it's not just a place we come and see somebody's new suit or new dress or come to make a business deal. The local church has divine purposes to it that keep us strong. Keep us strong. So let me just read one verse. Hebrews 10.25 says, "Let, Let us not neglect our church meetings, as some people do. Another version says, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage and warn each other. Notice why we have church. To encourage and to warn each other. Amen? Now he says, especially... Now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Because the Bible says it'll be dark days when Jesus returns, like a thief in the night. So in light of the fact that he's close to drawing near, we are to meet together for the purpose of encouraging one another and warning each other. I didn't let the early service out without encouraging somebody. And I said, you can't encourage your spouse. You're going home with them. But I want you to encourage somebody. I'm going to do the same thing with this uh, congregation in the second service. I'm not going to let you out of here until you encourage somebody. And if you don't do it, we've got men in the parking lot. I'm just kidding. But I want you to catch the vision of what the Bible reveals to us about the reason we come to church. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. It's a holy word. It's your word. It's the very word of God. Now, Lord, I pray you'll speak to us and give us this revelation. Put it in our heart of hearts, in our innermost, innermost, 
why God gave the local church. And Lord, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Will you breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, you're going to need this before you get home. Amen. Amen. Well, again, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But I want to address a growing trend that is kind of happening out there in what I want to call the Western church. When I say the Western church, I mean America. I mean uh, the United Kingdom, uh, the West, what we, have known, what we know as the Western part of the hemisphere. What's happening in the Western church? There is a tendency to drift away from local church attendance. Now, we're in a growing church, and I'm thankful that we're in a growing church. But I want to show you what's happening in in America at large. If you were in other places or if you were in uh, a a denomination, a a longstanding denomination, there's something that has been happening out there. The fact is that, that much, now not all, but much of the American church is in decline. Now, three organizations came together and they all concurred on what I'm about to read to you. Let me tell you who the organizations were because these are solid. The United States Census Bureau records. They're secular. They're not even religious. Along with denominational reports. This is what the the classic denominations are reporting to their headquarters about their attendance. And the Assemblies of God, U.S. missions. All three of those concur. Get this that every year more than 4,000 churches close their doors. Now, in case you didn't catch that, I'm going to read that again. Every year more than 4,000 churches are closing their doors compared to only 1,000 new church starts. So for every four that close their door, one starts. Now, that's decline. Here's another one that they reported. Every year, 2.7 million church members decide to stop attending church. They just stop. Now, I've heard formerly church people say, they've said this in my presence, you know, I just don't need church. My relationship with the Lord is just fine. I kind of look at them and I grin because I want to say, so so your wisdom is greater than the word of God, which says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And God gives us that for a reason. Here's another one I hear. I go to church on Christian TV and I get fed that way. I laid hands on that person real quick. Here's one I've heard a lot. I, get, I got offended in church, and I just can't bring myself to go back because I got offended. And so I, I'm not going to go where those hypocrites are. I'm not going to go where all of those people that, you know, they say one thing and do another. I'm not going to go. And, and, and so I, the, the more righteous one, I'm going to stay home and have G- church with me and Jesus alone. That's kind of the attitude. But listen, those who say these things reveal that they do not understand the purpose and the reason for which God gave the local church. Because if they did, they would be there. They would be there. See, I believe the reason many of these people stop attending is because they just have not understood what the Bible says about local church and what it does for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. See, if I don't believe I need something, then I'm not going to prioritize it. I'm not going to put it on my calendar. I'm just going to say, well, pretty much I'll go when I can make time to go. And that's not the way that we're to view local church at all. God has given the local church for our good. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. Let me just teach you about the local church. 
If church really doesn't matter that much, why did the Lord Jesus die on the cross and rise from the dead to birth it? Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to birth the local church because the local church is made up of saved people. He died so that we would be saved from our sins, saved from judgment, be heaven-bound, be set free from the power of sin, and live a spirit-filled, holy life. He died for that, and that's what the church is to be comprised of. So if the local church doesn't matter, why did Jesus give his very life to birth it? Jesus said to Simon Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. My church. And the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against my church. Notice he said it's his church. It's not man's church. It's not a denomination's church. It's his church. It's not an organization's church. It's his church. This is his church, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Amen? So, so how then can professing Christians treat it as an option that we can just take or leave? Well, you know, I'll get there when I make time, when I can find time. I'm real busy. You know, it's the kids and it's work. And it's this and that, and and we don't prioritize it, but the Bible makes very clear that we should prioritize it, but not just to do it, not just so we can say, well, you know, I made it to church this week, not just so that we can be more right with God, but because of what God intended the local church to do for you and for me. The word church in the original language is ecclesia, ecclesia, And, and that word means called out from the world. Or called out ones. See, if you're a child of God, you've been called out. You've been called out of the world. But God never calls us out but what he wants to call us in. He called us out to call us in. He called us out of the world to call us into the kingdom of God. So when we got saved, we were delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. He called us out of darkness into light Out of deception, into truth, out of death, into life, out of blind, into sight, out of hell, into heaven. He called us out. And he's called us out of the world to be in his kingdom, which includes his church. Now, how important is the church in the word of God? Because you know what makes church, church. It's not this building. It's not a building. It's people. There is church wherever God's people meet. That's church. But how important is the church in the Bible? Well, let's just look at that. All of the New Testament letters, all, everything that Paul, James, John, and Jude wrote uh, were to churches. They wrote to churches. All the epistles were written to churches. The Galatians, the Philippians, the Ephesians. Every epistle is written to churches. The book of Acts is the history of the church and the history of the Acts of the Apostles as they went out preaching and they went out preaching so that they could gather new believers so that they could birth new churches. Everything they did had church in mind, was church-driven, church-oriented. We're preaching and gathering new believers so that we can plant churches. Paul said to Titus, I want you to go into every city and appoint elders to help rule and watch over the churches. The book of Revelation opens up that incredible prophecy of John 
that we so love to, to study and go through. It began with the Lord Jesus addressing seven churches. Church at Ephesus, church at Philadelphia, church of Smyrna, the church of the Laodiceans. Jesus, right at the beginning of the revelation, had the church on his mind. He corrected the church. He loved the church. He taught the church. He, he, he focused on the church. The whole New Testament is all about the church. You, me. The church is so precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. How precious is the church to Jesus? He says, that's my bride. That's my bride. That's, that's my church. I love my church. That's my bride. The church is called the body of Christ. The church is called God's building. The church is called the habitation of God. It's where God dwells. It's where his spirit dwells. Just now we worship God and what happened? His spirit entered in. His spirit inhabited the praises of his people. He made his home with us. He dwelled among us. He's here right now helping me preach and he's here helping you understand. He is here right now. It's his church. It's his church. When the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, he didn't pour out the Spirit, pour out the Holy Spirit on the world. He poured the Holy Spirit out on his waiting, praying church. And when the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, that was the church's birthday. The church was birthed in power. It was birthed in glory. It was birthed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. His church was, was birthed in the very presence and power of God. And when the Lord Jesus returns to earth, he's not coming back for the world. He's coming back for his church. The church is important to God. God loves the church. And the church is important to you and to me. Now, in our opening verse, Christians are uh, totally commanded not to forsake the gathering together for worship, teaching, and fellowship. And I assure you, church, If you want to survive and thrive in this dark and wicked world that's growing more wicked all the time, if you want to survive and thrive, you've got to use the survival tools that God has given us in our spiritual survival gear, and that is you've got to be in the Word daily, building yourself up in your faith. You've got to be in prayer daily. You need to be. If you want to survive, you need to be, and we need to be in regular fellowship with the gathered church. That is a tool in our survival gear. We don't just meet to meet. We meet for the reasons I'm about to show you. Now, I'm going to give you three key purposes for which God gave the local church. It's not all of them. I could, have, I could go for months on this, but I'm going to give you the ones that have just really jumped out at me. But here, here's three. Now, the first one is a bonus. If I gave you all year to figure out what I'm going to say first, you wouldn't come up with it. I guarantee you wouldn't because it's not what you suspect, but it's true. Are you ready? The first reason, well, not the first reason. One of the reasons God gave the local church, it's good for your health. Somebody say amen. amen. How many of you like health? You say, well, Jeff, how is it good for my health? Researchers have found a surprising, now I'm talking about secular researchers, have found a surprising correlation between longevity and religious faith. According to an analysis by Ohio State psychology researchers who are secular people, they're not religious, they're not out to prove something positive about the church, but here's what they found. In a study that they, they did, 
churchgoers appear to live an average of 5.64 years longer than atheists. Yeah. How many of you want to live longer? All right, now listen to the preacher up here because I'm going to tell you something. They found that churchgoers often volunteer and engage in social activities throughout their lives, and, th- and that is tied to a longer lifespan. I was telling the, the first service, my, my mother just turned 94. She loves Jesus with all of her heart, but she is a social butterfly. She is totally alert mentally, totally alert physically. Her schedule is busier than mine. I'll call her and I'll say, Mother, what are you doing? Oh, I'm headed to a bridge game or I'm headed to church or I'm headed down to be with some of my friends. She lives in this beautiful retirement home and and everybody is her friend. My mother, on her birthday, gets more cards than I get in a year, Christmas included. She has so many friends. But she loves Jesus. She's always up. I have never had my mother ever, not one time has my mother ever said to me, well, I'm having a real blue day, Jeffrey. She's the only one that can call me Jeffrey. And I, but I'll call her and I'll say, what you doing, mom? Oh, I'm having the time. Now I'm quoting her. I'm having the time of my life. I'm about to go down and be with my friends. And last night we all went to a movie down in our little movie area. And and I'm just so excited. And I just love this place. And Jeffrey, God is good and life is good and I feel great. And I think I'm going to hit 100. (laughs) Now watch this. Watch this. Because she's fellowshipping all the time. That's one of the real keys. That's one of the reasons that God gave local church. So that you'll fellowship. So you'll be around others. So you will have life-giving fellowship. That's what my mother does. And I guarantee you that's one of the reasons she's hit 94 with no mental or physical issues at all. Our opening verse tells us one of the reasons for the church. Encourage one another. That's why I'm not surprised that they found that churchgoers live years longer than atheists, those who do not believe in God and do not congregate like churchgoers are supposed to. The opening verse says, encourage one another, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Encouragement as opposed to discouragement is hugely important to mental, physical, and spiritual health. Just encouraging. God's with you. You're going to get through this. I know you're in a valley, but the sun's going to shine again. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. He always leads us in triumph in Christ, so you're going to make it to the other side. Yes, it may look dark right now, but things are going to turn for you because God is for you, and if God is for us, who can be against us? Let me encourage you today. We're supposed to come together to encourage one another the Bible says anxiety in a, man, in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good encouraging word makes it glad. Just one encouraging word. Boy, I love encouragers. I love somebody to call me and encourage me because I can be struggling with something, but just one word of encouragement can pick me up and, and cause that little spark to happen inside of me where I feel better, where I feel lifted, where I feel stronger, death and life are in the power of what we say to one another. Amen. 
And not only that, but in a healthy church, the word of God is taught and preached, like I'm doing right now. And you know what I'm doing right now? I'm giving you life. It's life-giving. See, if I minister the flesh, it's going to kill you. But if I minister the spirit, it gives life. Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak, listen to what Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So hearing the word of God brings life. I'm lifing you right now. I'm lifing you. You can't listen to the word of God without being made more alive. The words that he speaks to us are spirit and they are life. So you open up the word of God every day and what you're doing is you're ministering life to your inner man, life to your spirit, life to your soul, building your faith, building yourself up on your most holy faith. So say with me, hearing the word brings life. So I'm not surprised that there's a larger lifespan in churchgoers who regularly hear the word that brings life. A healthy church brings all kinds of healthy life extenders. Encouragement, prayer, fellowship, a sense of purpose, peace, ministry opportunities, social activities, just to name a few. A healthy local church is to be life-giving, life-giving, life-giving. So we come to church because we need life. No wonder David wrote, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, some people, you say, let's go to the house of the Lord. And they could say, I was sad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. But if you're a born again believer and you've got a healthy church that preaches the word of God and teaches the word of God and worships the living God, then you ought to wake up on Sunday morning and say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen. So if for no other reason, get to church if you want to live longer. Amen? Amen. A second purpose for the church is protection. Spiritual protection. When wolves are on the hunt for prey, they will first find a herd. They're very skilled at this. I read about it. They're very skilled. When they, when they are looking for a prey, they move in packs, and they'll look for, like, say, a herd of deer. But their skill doesn't stop there because they are able to pick out a deer that is weaker. And invariably, the weaker deer will drop back from the herd. After they've assessed the herd and found the weak one, all the eyes of the wolf are on the weak one. As the weak one drops back and lags behind the herd, they move in and they begin to nip the legs of that weak deer. Finally, out of blood loss, that deer drops and the rest is history. This is exactly how Satan operates. Now, I've pastored 35 years, and I'm going to tell you, I've seen this over and over again. The Bible says that Satan's like a lion. Peter wasn't just whistling Dixie when he said, I want you to understand that the devil's like a lion. So he, he's predatory. He, he's always looking. He's looking for that, that weak deer. Peter put it this way. He said, he's, he's prowls about He prowls about the devil, prowls about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, who's the whom? Who's the whom he's looking to devour? Well, it's that weak Christian 
that drifts from the herd. Every time. And the devil moves in on that one that drifts from the herd. They say, well, you know, um, I don't really need church. And, you know, I'm doing fine spiritually. And, or I got offended there, so I, I'm not going to work it out. I'm just going to go ahead and leave. And you get out there. And you get out there and you say, well, I really feel okay and I seem okay and nothing terrible is happening to me. But what you don't know is the devil's walking about like a roaring lion. He's looking for the one who's drifted from the herd. And he soon begins to move in. He moves in and begins to nip at the isolated Christian with temptation, discouragement, depression, all to further weaken him for the kill. And finally, one day, you who thought you were fine without church and fine without the fellowship, fine without gathering together, you're out there and now you've got all kinds of weird and strange ideas that are not biblical. And you're running with people that are not godly and you're doing things you'd have never done when you were plugged into church. Now, with that picture in mind, listen to this. When Paul the Apostle was leaving the Ephesian church for the last time, he gathered the elders of the Ephesian church around him. And he said, I'm going for the last time. And and, and when he said that, they grabbed him and hugged him and wept on his shoulders. But then Paul said this. He said, I know this. I've been with you for three years. And now I'm leaving. And here's what I know. I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves, there's that word. He's using the illustration of a predatory animal. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul knew that there were wolves out there waiting for God's people to get out from under a good, strong local church. Wolves are out there. Let me give you some. False teachers, they're everywhere. They're everywhere in our culture. False teachers, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Ungodly influences, ungodly relationships, destructive temptations. See, when you, when you, when you leave your church then I've seen people that they sever themselves from the church and, and they get out there. And, but when they sever themselves from the church, they, they leave their godly relationships. They leave the people they knew. And so what's left? Well, all that's left is people that are not walking with God. And they hook up with, with uh, at least moderate believers or if, if at all, they hook up with people that are not godly, don't care about God, don't care about walking with the Lord. They begin to run with them. They begin to fellowship with them. They get close to them. And you know what? When they get close to them, they start thinking like they think and living like they live and acting like they act and doing like they do because that's the way we are. That's the way God wired us. He wired us so that whatever we choose to be the relationships in our life, those relationships are going to shape us and mold us into what we become. That's why I say You've got to choose carefully who you run with. I, 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 I talk to lost people all the time. But in my close-knit circle, I want godly people. I want godly people who are going to help me walk with God. I want to hear how they're walking with God. I want to hear about their prayer life. I want to hear about their love for the Lord. I want them rubbing off on me. I choose very carefully who's in my inner orbit. Why? Because there's wolves out there. And you can have somebody that you're very, very, uh, you've got great chemistry. You you get along really well. But if they don't walk with God, if they don't love the Lord, then, then I would have a line in the sand about how close I got with them. 
Because eventually, eventually, I'm going to start thinking like them and, and, and acting like them. I've seen it too often, folks, and it could happen to me. If I left God rela- uh, godly relationships for a year, for six months, and hooked up with the wrong people, I would not be as tight with Jesus as I am today. It matters who you run with. Paul knew that there were wolves out there, and the Ephesian church under Paul's skilled leadership had protected the flock from their attack. And that's what a local church is for, protection. I've been a pastor 35 years now, and I'm going to tell you, I've never seen somebody walk away from church, walk away from fellowship, who did as well as when they were in fellowship. Sometimes they go way, way worse, but God gave you and I to one another. And this is where you hook up with godly relationships and godly friendships. This is where you refuel your gas tank. This is where you come to get encouraged. This is where you come to get your faith built. This is where you come to to talk to other people about their walk with Jesus. And they tell you something you didn't know. And you tell them something they didn't know. And, And the two of you sharpen one another, which is what I'm about to go into next. So say with me, God gave the church. For encouragement, healthy relationships, and to be a part of a body of believers that are impacting society for Christ. You don't have to say all that. (laughs) But see, we're in this together. We're not just in a group of people that decide to meet on Sunday mornings on Garden Acres. We're in this together. We've got the same vision, the same purpose, the same target. We're fighting the same devil. We're worshiping the same Christ. We're following the same Lord. We're glorifying the same God. We're in this together. Amen? Give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on. So if you want to live a little longer, it might be church will bring that about. And he also gave the local church for protection, but he also finally Gave it for sharpening, 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 spiritual sharpening. Now, when I say spiritual sharpening, I mean you're, you're sharp. You're, you're, you're on, you're in with the Lord, you're walking tight. You've got discernment. You can tell wrong from right, light from dark, bad from good, bitter from sweet. You're not like the culture out there that's calling good, bad, and bad, good. Light, dark, and dark, light. Bitter, sweet, and sweet, bitter. No, when, <clears throat> when you're sharp spiritually, you're able to spot something that is not of God, and you're able to amen something that is of God. You are in there. You're in with the Lord. You're growing. A local church that provides healthy teaching, worship, and fellowship will sharpen your spiritual walk, which is essential to your survival. The Bible says, just as iron sharpens iron, friends sharpen the mind of each other. See, if you want to sharpen two iron blades for better cutting, better slicing, you can do it by just rubbing them together. Think about that. Just rubbing them together to make them sharper. We've all seen the movies or the cartoons where somebody has two knives and they're rubbing them against each other and sharpening them. That's the idea that God had for the local church. When we come together, we're supposed to spiritually rub up against each other and sharpen one another in the Lord. Far too often, folks, the only knives that are being sharpened in church are the knives where you're getting ready for a potluck. Man, we know how to eat in church. 
Amen? Every restaurant loves church people. Go to any restaurant around here after church, and it's full of church people. A lot of people think when Paul said, I buffet my body, that he meant buffet my body. (laughs) But watch this. God has given us the local church to sharpen one another with the word of God, with fellowship, with prayer, prayer, with encouragement. When you tell me, hey, God spoke to me this week and he helped me to do this or that, I hear that and it sharpens me. I say, well, let me tell you what the Lord did for me. And I sharpen you. When you share with me a godly conviction about something, I hear that and I go, wow, that's where I ought to be living. And when I share with you something the Lord convicted me about, And when I obeyed him, it changed my life. It sharpens you. And we get together and we rub against each other spiritually and we sharpen one another so that when I leave church, I'm sharpening you right now. You're going to leave today sharper than when you walked in. Because it's not Jeff Wickwire doing it. It's the word of God is sharpening. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. So when I minister the word of God, it sharpens your spirit, man. We're supposed to come together not to gossip, not to make a business transaction, but we're supposed to come together with with the motivation, I'm going to sharpen my brethren today. I'm going to make them sharper spiritually. If a knife is blunt, it's still a knife. But when it's blunt, it takes twice the energy to get half the work done. But when it's sharp, It gets twice as much done with half the effort. We're to be spiritually sharp. And you know what occurred to me? A dull knife is usually rusty and dusty. And a sharp knife usually shines brighter. See, when we're sharp, we shine. God wants it when you walk into a room where there's lost people, light comes in with you. Amen? And there's levels of sharpness that you and I will never achieve alone. Being alone, you'll never get there. In the Garden of Eden, God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Now, if that was true before the fall, where does that leave us after the fall? If it wasn't good for man to be alone before the fall, when he walked with God in the cool of the day and and spoke to God and heard God's voice like this, if he needed then to not be alone, where does it leave us now in our spiritual battles? We need more than ever to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ for regular fellowship and prayer, for spiritual sharpening. And that's one of the reasons God gave the church. And so I'm going to tell you, if you get outside the local church as a believer, my prediction is your spiritual life will grow duller. The early church, which is the model for all churches for all time, it says this about them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were devoted, committed to regular church attendance. They were devoted to the fellowship. Jesus himself placed a premium on the gathering of the saints. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, that's church, there am I among them. He manifests his presence in a way in the local church gathering that he does not do anywhere else. He does unique things in the local church gathering. He promised greater power in prayer when we're gathered together. He said, I tell you this, that if two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask for, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Amen. The eyes of the Lord are peeled on the gathering together of the saints. 
Can we stand together today? Say with me, daily time in the Word. Daily time in prayer. Faithful attendance to the gathering of the saints. Now, if we will do those things, we're going to survive. We're going to thrive. The chances are you're going to be victorious over sin in your life. You're going to bear fruit every single day of your life. And you're going to be useful in the hands of God for reaching people. Amen? How many of you want those things? These are tools. Amen? Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's all right. These are tools. So let's lift holy hands to the Lord today. Jesus, we hear you. We hear what you've told us. You didn't leave us bereft. You didn't leave us without weaponry without a means to stay healthy in a fallen world. Help us, Lord, to daily spend time grazing in the green pastures of the tender grass of the Word of God. Help us, Lord, every day to take time to cast our cares upon you in prayer, to pray about our needs, to lift up the various things you put on our hearts to pray for. And help us, Lord, to not forsake the coming together of the saints. Help us to sharpen one another. Encourage one another. Give life to one another. In the mighty name of the Lamb of God.